Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Yeah, we had to turn back a dad who was trying to get with the kids, get him back to his seat back here. No, this is good. This is good. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, if we've not had a chance to meet yet, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't met, please introduce yourself. I'll be hanging out up here and back there after the service. And uh, I'm going to be hanging out at the potluck. There's some good food accumulating over there. So uh, I'd love to connect with you there. So if you've not had the chance to meet, make sure we get that chance before you go home today. All right? That would, that would be fantastic. We are continuing in our series, Belong, just to make sure that everybody's up to speed. And again, maybe you're new here, and so make sure you're, you're with us. We're exploring what does it mean to be us? What does it mean to belong, not only belong to God, because when we, when we give our lives to follow Jesus, uh, when we receive his grace and forgiveness, like he transforms us and we belong to him. But what scripture teaches is that we also belong to each other. I belong to you, you belong to me. There's actually a little song which just kicked in my head, but I won't sing that for you. So we, we learn what it is for us to belong with each other. And there's hard pieces to that, right? There's some pieces of this, this is really hard. There are some pieces that are spectacular and beautiful and good. But this is what God is doing. It's not peripheral to what God is doing. It is central to what he is doing too. He is creating a people that lives together, that belongs together in such a way that we bear witness to who he is. That because of the way, because of the way we live like this, those who don't know God believe us when we tell them who he is. So the, this is not peripheral. The, the stakes are high. And so we let scripture teach us and shape us as a new people. And today we're, we're shifting over and we're going to look at, um, over a number of weeks, going to be looking at a, a passage of scripture in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. So we've been looking at different... Um, Clumps, that's, that's actually the spiritual word for it. We've been looking at clumps of scripture together that, that shape us and help us to see what is it for us to belong together. And so we'd spent some time in uh, the Gospel of John and some of John's letters, so same guy, but some different, different uh, books in the New Testament. And then we spent some time in Romans, uh, particularly chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul was teaching us what this looks like. And so we're going to continue with the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote Ephesians. And just again, so we're all on the same page, Ephesians was written as a letter to uh, actually a number of churches. Uh, we often think that because it's named Ephesians, it was just to the Ephesians but it was most likely a circular letter and it was probably written while the Apostle Paul was in prison in Ephesus. As we look at Acts, we see different undulations of his life and one of those is a stint imprisoned uh, in Ephesus. And so most likely this was a letter that was written while he was uh, imprisoned in Ephesus. It was designed to be a circular letter to uh, the Christian churches in that area. All right, so we're going to read it. Like we, we can read this as a circular letter from the Apostle Paul to us, to the church, or at least one of the churches in Concord, New Hampshire. We get to do that as we read it. So let's look there. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Now this is, we're going to be looking at a longer section today. Uh, So we're looking at verses 1 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16. And even though we have the the passages, the words up on the screen, which is there to be easy and convenient for us, I encourage you to look in your either a paper Bible or you can look on your phone just because that's going to give you context. It's going to give you the space to go back to and read things or as I'm talking, it allows you to go, really what it says that or things like that, right? So it allows you to kind of keep up with those things. So I encourage you to have your, your copy of it here too as I read aloud. So Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 4, as a prisoner for the Lord then, see, prisoner, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, a little quote here. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now Paul explains this here in verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to, get this, fill the whole universe. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, we got that, right? There's a lot packed into this, isn't there? There is a lot that Paul is teaching these young Christians and what does it mean to be this? Now, a lot of times we'll read passages like this and we'll read them in a bit of isolation from their context. We individualize it. And while we each need to make a personal decision and what we will do with Jesus... Most of the New Testament is written to a collective, an understanding that we are a part of something bigger than us. And so we, in our context, easily individualize things, and we need to really work to put it into the context of community. 
there are other cultures that are by nature more communal and they have to do real hard work to really hear the messages as personal, as individual in their decision, right? And so that's just some of the work that we have to do here. And so as we read this, we understand that Paul is teaching about the body of Christ. So even as he's giving these instructions, it's not just about me, me and God, it's about what does this look like here? And what we see in the Ephesians is we see this incredible move that Paul is espousing in what the first century church looked like. It was this coming together of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles were just simply non-Jews. That's what we mean when we say Gentile, right? So we're bringing together these two groups of people into one new thing. And so that's what Paul is teaching here. And so Ephesians is, is, is bringing us there. It's bringing us to the place where we understand it's these two very different groups of people coming together to be one. Unity. United. Which is different than uniformity or sameness. Unity is what Paul is instructing and what God is doing even in our midst here today. How is he building unity? What does unity look like? Particularly, we ask the question is, how do we navigate belonging? How do we navigate unity when we're so different? Let me just pause and pray for us. Father, we're pausing in these moments because we need you to be our teacher today. You, by your spirit, inspired these words written down by Paul, and we are so thankful for them. And we are thankful for the fact that that same spirit that inspired them is present with us here in these moments and is teaching us. And so make it come alive for us. Awaken us to you and who you are and what it looks like for us to follow in faithful obedience to you. And so God, would you open our eyes to see what we don't naturally see? Honestly, you know this. We get glimpses of this, but we can be obtuse and we don't see. And so help us to see. That's a gift of your grace. Father, would you, by your spirit, open our ears unstop our deaf ears that we might hear you speak to us today through your word, through your spirit. And then Father, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you, our distracted, stubborn hearts, would you soften our hearts that we would be pliable in your care, that we, we want to be good soil and be able to receive the seed of your word, that it would grow roots, be strong and bear fruit. So do that work in us. This is a work that you do as we submit ourselves to you in humility. So we give you ourselves. Do with us today as you see fit. For our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to uh, just pause for a moment right where you're at. And I want you to think about your favorite color. Just thinking. You're not writing it down. You're not shouting it out yet. You, get, you got it? Some of you are like, well, this one, this one, this one. Oh, I like so many. No, think of your, like your favorite color. You got it locked in? Raise your hand if you got it locked in. Some of you are ignoring me. That's all right. 
That's right. We're going to do this anyway. I want you to think about your favorite color. All right? Now, when I count to three, I want you to say your favorite color out loud. I mean, you can shout it if you want to, but you don't have to shout it. But you're just gonna, we're going to say it, do more than a whisper. Somewhere between a shout, a holler, and a whisper. I want you to say your favorite color. Don't, don't forget it. Use your favorite color. So when I count to three, now, it's going to be like one, two, and then on three, you do it, right? It's not one, two, three, and. It's going to be one, two, three. And just want to make sure we're all on the same page, all right? So when I count to three, you're going to say your favorite color all at once, all right? This is going to be spectacular. One, two, I thought for sure everybody was going to say red. Like, I, I thought for sure everybody would just say red. Did you notice that not everybody said the same thing? Do we have some red people in the room? Seriously. There's four of us. All right, all right. We got some blue people in the room. Oh, we got lots of blue people. Now, there's a psychological study that tells us about people whose favorite color is blue. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Wait, we, I, I thought I heard some yellow. All right, so there's a few yellow going on in here. Some orange, because you like to blend some things. You're like, don't lock me into primary colors. You can't make me do this, right? Like, how many went with, like, teal or fuchsia or like see you like don't block me in I'm breaking my own colors I get how this thing works right this is great but so what you noticed is that everybody has different favorite colors they're gonna buy their cars they're gonna buy socks they're gonna buy shirts and we all have different favorite colors so there's there's differentness here right now I think for the most part our favorite color doesn't do that much to us. Like, we're not going to divide the room. Those four seats can be red people. This middle section can be blue people. It's like, we're not going to do that. But when we think about um, how we navigate our world, we recognize that there's a lot of differences in our world. Just like there was when Paul was writing this. I told you he was, he was working to bring together two groups of people. They were Jews and they were Gentiles. Christianity was born out of uh, Judaism. It was born out of Israel. And so when it, was, when it was first coming onto the scene, it was viewed as a Jewish sect. Make sure I pronounce that word correctly. It was, uh, it was understood to be a Jewish sect. And there was this confusion that if you were going to become a follower of the rabbi Jesus, you needed to first be a good Jew, and then you could follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Paul is pushing again. He was a strong proponent of that. As a matter of fact, he wanted to kill the followers of Jesus when he first came on the scene as Saul. But he had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. He came to follow Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord of all. And this is what he's sharing as he's drawing these people together because what was happening is the message of Jesus and his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins and this new work that God was doing in him and through him, the spread of the kingdom of God, was moving outside of the confines of Israel. It was moving all over the place into the world. And so what happened is you had people who were not Jewish who were giving themselves to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. And you can begin to understand there were ethnic differences, there were language differences, there were perspective differences, worldview differences. These were no small things that were coming into be one body, this clash that was taking place. Does it sound a little bit familiar? 
We might not be wrestling with Jew and Gentile things, but we do wrestle with differences in ideologies and worldviews, don't we? It is hard to navigate differences when we're trying to foster and live in unity. And yet here's this thing that Paul is revealing for us that our maturity in Christ, our maturity in Christ is tied directly to our capacity to love in unity. Let that rest again. Our maturity in Christ is directly tied. It is not peripheral. It is not secondary or tertiary. It is not, oh, if we get to it. Our maturity in Christ is directly tied to our capacity to live in unity in love. Especially amongst the differences. In some ways, it's easy to be in relationship, to have affection for, to love those who are like us. We do that intuitively. We do that naturally. We, we naturally find those who are like us. The blues find the blues. The greens find the greens. The reds, we find each other a little bit. The yellows and the mauves, they find each other. We, we naturally, it's part of what we do, we navigate our world looking for sameness. Because it's in the midst of sameness that we often find ourselves to be able to go, oh, whew, I can relax a little bit. I can relax a little bit. As a matter of fact, we even get to feel pretty justified because when we're over here going blue, 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 did you notice how many blue there were? It's because blue is better than all the other colors, right? And did you see, there were just a handful of reds. What were they even thinking? I wonder if they'll ever be blue. Because someday I think like if they really want to be a part of us, they should acknowledge that they should be blue because blue is better. And those yellows, who knows about yellows? Thankfully, there's not too many of them. Like this is what we do. We learn it from the time that we're kids and we embrace it all the way through adulthood. Differences are hard. They challenge us. They sometimes don't even feel as safe. And so if we are to grow into maturity in Christ, we must navigate differences. And so Paul is helping us do that. In this section, we see this throughout Ephesians chapter 4. How do we do this? How do we live in oneness? How do we live in loving communion together? How do we belong to each other when we're so different? Look again at those first six verses here. He lays out for us in these first six verses because he's laying the foundation of what our unity is. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, right? The calling of the gospel to follow Jesus, to be a part of his movement. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's a good thing to circle there because it's going to make its way through. When he repeats things, pay attention. So in love is something that gets repeated. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
the unity that really does its work in our midst is found and anchored in and based on one God. He is the foundation of our unity. Without that as a foundation, what we strive for is sameness in uniformity. And sameness in uniformity are always weak. They are always weak. They are based on acquiescence, control, and sometimes even manipulation or deceit. But unity that is grounded in the triune God who has revealed himself through Jesus is a unity built on strength. And it can withstand so much. And so what he's doing is like you've got these different nationalities, you've got different languages. All these pieces are coming together, Jew and Gentile. But at the end of the day, do you know what unites us? Jesus unites us. Do you hear how he, he nails these things through here? There is one body, just as there is one spirit. You are called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's one of the beautiful things about baptism. Lauren talked about us doing that in a, in a few weeks during our services. So if you haven't been, this is a great time to do that because that baptism is a marker that identifies us publicly with Jesus. And so what happens is people get baptized here. Those of you who have been baptized, what do you remember? You remember your baptism, don't you? And those of you who are wondering, what does it look like to follow Jesus? We see the testimony given in the, like the baptism, like it's a floor right now, but I'm pointing back here because that's where the baptism is going to be. So we watch these things and we're taken in. We see what this unity looks like. So he even says that one baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and uh, the Holy Spirit. And so we see this oneness. And so no matter what language you speak, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what ethnicity you come from background, no matter what socioeconomic um, reality you live in and navigate, no matter what your background has been, no matter what your future is, we are bound, if you are in Christ, we are bound together in one body through one spirit. And it is God's spirit. We are bound by one God. And so how do we respond to this? When we go, one Lord, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, that is what unites us. Then it takes some of the pressure off to conform. It takes some of the pressure off to get others to conform. It takes the pressure off to control and so he says that. What, what do we do in light of this reality? What does he say? He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. When he says this bearing with one another in love, this isn't like the way you bear with your parents when they give you a curfew that's ridiculous. The, oh, seriously? All right, whatever, right? That, that's not bearing. When we hear the English words bearing with one another in love, that's kind of what we, we think of. But there's actually a strength to this word, a leaning in to this word. We bear with, we respect the other. Be humble and gentle. See, when we recognize that God is the one who is the foundation of our unity, 
then I don't have to control you to get to you to uniformity. When God is the foundation of our unity, I don't have to control you to uniformity. Control undoes love. Love cannot take place in a high control culture. You can either love someone or you can control someone. And I'm not talking about your kid running into the street. Stop your kid from running into the street, right? Because that's actually what's loving. We shape and we parent and we discipline our children. Those things are all true. But when it comes to controlling, manipulating, that's not what love looks like. So love unleashed looks like humility. It looks like gentleness. It looks like bearing with one another in love. This is the foundation that we get when God is one. He is our foundation, one God. And so we look on, and he continues to spell this out for us. Look at the next few verses, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So this is something that God is doing. Jesus is doing this thing. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. And then he talks about this, uh, descended and the ascended. and So verse 11, so Christ himself gave apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, in order to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You see that? Maturity actually flows from this diversity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If we are to be mature in Christ, our unity is deeply tied into that. It is a result of that. It also is one of the ways that we grow and become mature, this diversity. Unity is enriched by the diversity of our gifts. Right? Unity is enriched by our diverse gifts. So God is not only the foundation of our unity, right? One God. He intentionally creates us to be stronger in our diversity. His gifts for us are diverse. And that is a strength, not a weakness. The body becomes stronger because he has given these diverse gifts. He talks about these gifts, the pastor, the teacher, the prophet, the evangelist. Right? These gifts are his gift to the body in this diversity. These are, are gifts that play out differently. And they can even bump into each other and create conflict with each other as they work these things out. Now, this imagery that he's using here, kind of this ascended and descended place, place, and he led captives, that can be a little bit confusing in our language. Think about a triumphant warrior coming into a city, right? A triumphant warrior. The battle has been won, and the captives are being brought into the city. And so there's this almost like this, this train of captives being led into the city as the crowds are cheering their victorious warriors home, right? Now, what happens in 
human warfare is this war, this, this victorious army leads the captives and it's a, it's a humiliation. It, it's, a, it's an embarrassment. It's a show that look at these losers. We're parading them as dogs through the street for we are better, right? That's what's going on in human warfare. But they're using some of that imagery, but saying that our victorious king is doing something completely different. He is leading his captives into the city in victorious procession and giving gifts to them. How ridiculous is that? The gifts are going to those who are in the train of the victorious king. And so who are the captives? We are the captives. Those who have been captured by his grace. Those who have been transformed through his love and forgiveness. We are his new people being led in procession. But not being shamed, not being belittled and bullied, rather being given, showered gifts. And so what are these gifts that he, the victorious king, has given? He's given us this diverse giftedness of prophets and um, uh, uh, pastors and teachers and evangelists. These differences are a gift that he gives. And the purpose of his giving these gifts is to make us stronger. The purpose of the gifts and the diversity of these gifts is to make us stronger. The way that a lot of us would do this, probably even myself included, is we're going to give out these gifts to make the body stronger. Let's make sure everybody's an evangelist. Because if we make sure everybody is an evangelist, everybody's going to think the same way, everybody's going to uh, behave in similar ways, we're going to get each other. But let's all be evangelists. That's not what he does, is it? He gives a little bit of this, gives a little bit of this, gives a little bit of this, and he says, that's how you're going to get stronger. But we recognize there are some ways. Like you take an evangelist and a teacher, and that can get a little bit hairy at times, right? Some of you are evangelist people. This is a way that God moves in you. And you're like, I just, we need to just get out there. And I sit here and kind of tolerate the learning stuff. But we just got to get out there and we're with people and that kind of thing. And the teacher says there needs to be orderliness. There needs to be a way that we take these things in. There needs to be a way of understanding. We need to understand at greater depths. And sometimes they can feel like they're at odds. And the teacher gets a little bit frustrated with the evangelist. You keep going out there, get new people. I'm trying to get these people trained up and, and learning stuff. And the evangelist gets frustrated with the teacher. Like, you just want us to sit there and kind of pull things in and and learning you want to go deeper and deeper and we got to get wider and wider and so they can they can clash so what happens when these when we clash well he's already told us be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love oh right do you begin to see how this comes together here See, what's happening here, as he's given us these gifts, as he's leading captives in this train, what God is doing in the midst of his people um, is he's, he's giving a recreated commission. Now, let me back up a second here and talk a little bit more about this. When, when humanity was created, right? In the beginning, God created. We go back to Genesis 1 and 2. He created humanity, 
There was a purpose for it. There was a created commission. He said, be fruitful, multiply, cover the earth, subdue the earth, rule over the earth. Humanity was created to rule and reign. In other words, we were created to rule and reign with God. We were to be his voice piece so that creation knows what the loving rule of God looks like. That's how we live, that's how we talk. We were to represent God's loving rule to all of creation. And we're the only part of creation that's been instilled by his spirit to represent creation back to him in worship. And so we are a unique part of creation. Now when we sin, we decided to rule and reign without God. We wanted to do it on our own terms. And we still do that today. Like it happened originally and it happens even today. I do this. You do this. We continue to get caught in this. We choose death over life by ruling and reigning on our own behalf. And so God in his redemptive mercy through Christ captures us, redeems us, rescues us from the bondages of sin and death, draws us into his new life and his new creation, his recreation. And so while the created commission has been corrupted by sin through forgiveness and redemption this recreation is being brought into reality in our midst and so as humans in the way of Jesus covered by his grace drawn into his mercy empowered by his love as his people we have a recreated commission in how we live And so he's gifting us that together we might be the body of his son Jesus so that the world knows what he looks like when God is present. And we represent all of creation in worship before him because he is worthy of worship by all of creation. This is what he's doing even in our midst. This is the goodness of God's mercy and love at work in us. So out of his abundance, we go back to creation. They were in the garden, the place of abundance. He gave them this commission. Through his redemption, those that God has rescued by his mercy and grace, he gives abundance, gifts for our good. Out of his abundance, this recreated commission is activated right here in our midst. We experience it in our oneness and the world experiences it in our oneness in love. And then we look at this final section here, this 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is its head, who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. He's using this distinction here between a child and a mature adult. Those are the words that are being here, like an infant tossed about by the way. Like that would be a ridiculous thing to see, wouldn't it? A baby trying to swim in the sea, that'd be horrifying. This is what it's like in a world when we are immature, even in Christ. We are immature, we get tossed around because there's deceitful scheming. There's powers and principalities of this world that are governing the way the world works. We talked at length about that last week. And so he's using this imagery. A child is tossed about by the winds of change. 
And that is true for us today. Children, the immature, are tossed about by the winds of change, governed by our experiences and emotions, governed by the deceitful scheming of the world around us. And he compares that or contrasts that with the mature adult who is steadfast, who is steadfast in the gospel exemplified in love. And so this diversity is a part of our strengthening that God uses to build up a body in love. And then he pulls in this last part here. And this is uh, worth underlining for you. Speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. So first, just speak the truth. What is it to speak the truth? It's to bring clarity. To bring clarity to the situation. See the contrast in there? Tossed about by the deceitful scheming, the cunning, right? The world works, the way the world works, the powers and principalities lurk in shadows. There's a deception. There's a hiddenness in this. But it is not to be so in our midst, for instead we speak the truth. We speak the truth in our relationships with each other. This truth is anchored in the gospel, who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do in our midst. It is a worldview that is reshaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the truth that anchors us. Worship is a proclamation of the truth of God. Confession is a declaration of the truth about self. Right? Be humble, be gentle, bearing with one another in love. This speaking to the truth it, it, it is to call out of hiddenness. This is why things like uh, gossip and slander can be so destructive in the midst of a community like the church. Even just withholding continues to remain in hiddenness, but instead we are to speak the truth. And some of you just felt a whole lot of permission right? Like, sweet, I love telling other people the truth. Yeah? Speak the truth in love. The truth is love. We speak the truth in love. Truth without love leads to pride and legalism, rigidity and hardness of heart. For love, agape love, which is the word that's used here repeatedly in this passage, agape love is for the good of the other. This is what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed for the good of us. And so as we embody his love, we speak the truth in love. Love in words that are good for the other, even at the expense of self. We draw it out of the shadows, bring it into the light, and we hold it with humility and gentleness. This is all woven into this passage here that Paul is teaching us about how do we navigate our differences. Sometimes what we want to do is we just want to spiritualize our differences. Paul's not doing that here. It's a very earthy, crusty, difficult thing that he's teaching us. But it is in our differences and our growing capacity to love each other in the differences that actually is the fruit of maturity and it is the means of maturity. 
Anybody can love the people who are like them. It's when we love those who are different than us. Speaking the truth in love. Bearing with one another. Being humble and gentle. Recognizing that God has done the distinctions on purpose. It's a part of his gift. And all of us shaped by the truth of his gospel alive in us and in our midst. Speaking the truth in love. It is a, it is a, a fruit of maturity and it is also the means of maturity. Without love, there is no maturity. Without a unity in the body, there is no maturity. And we are left as infants being tossed about by the winds, the cunning, the shiftiness, the deceitfulness of the world in which we live. Our maturity in Christ is directly related to our ability to love people, especially people who are different from us. We mature in Christ as we speak the truth in love. And so you think about how you navigate relationships, and for a lot of us, this, can, this is new, and it's something that we need to practice drawing things out from the shadows and holding them out in the midst of these relationships, speaking the truth in love, in your marriage, in your home, amongst your friends, here in the groups and teams in which we gather as a church. We learn to grow up into him who is our head, Christ. He is the measure of maturity. And he draws us into his love that we might be unified by who he is. Strengthened by the different ways that he has gifted us and shaped us. And lean into that love as we speak the truth in love to one another. Let me pray. Father, would you let this soak down deep into our souls? Show us the places where we have put up barriers to those who are distinct from us. Out of fear, out of judgment, we repent of fear and judgment. We repent of withholding or gossip and slander. We repent of judgment. And we ask for you to shape us in the ways of your son Jesus for our good and for your glory that the world might know that you are beautiful that you are spectacular that all would know that our God reigns shape us to be that church shape our homes in these ways shape our friendships in these ways again for our good and for your glory we pray this all in the name of Jesus amen Amen. Go ahead and stand up with me if you would. What do you want to be? Infants tossed around by the winds and the waves of this world? The scheming and deceitful teachings that come our way? Or do you want to stand firm in oneness, in unity and love? It's really not a trick question, right? My desire, my challenge for you is that we would learn as a people to be one united with him as our foundation. Speaking the truth in love.
challenging, correcting, blessing as we do. If you have never taken that step of faith to give your life to Jesus, to to be a part of this, this thing that he is doing, this movement of redemption and salvation, this gift is for you today. We're going to have some folks up here who would love to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, decide to follow him. Just come up and say, I want to follow Jesus. We'll take it from there, all right? If there's any other reason we can pray for you, we'd love to be able to do that. It's part of what it means to be church family as we pray together. As you walk through these doors, may you do so with an awareness, an abundant awareness of the God who loves you, who has called you, who continues to call you and beckon you by his grace to walk with him. And may you walk with him in your recreated commission to bear witness both as people and as a body to who he is that the world would know. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.